You know that we have begun a series, actually this is the fourth one in this series, and I've entitled this series, The Mindset That Cannot Fail, and we are going through the book of Philippians, verse by verse through, just more of on a devotional level, but I think uh, we're getting into some really meaty stuff as well as we go through in these last few weeks. So I want you to go with me over to chapter 2, Philippians chapter 2. Now, of course, Philippians is written to a a local church in the city of Philippi. Paul is writing to them, and when he's writing to them, he is in jail, in a Roman jail, and uh, yet it's a letter of encouragement. It's a letter of rejoicing and having the right mindset. And this is what the series is really all about, the approach we're taking on it. And this is part four of the series, The Mindset That Cannot Fail the mindset that cannot fail. You know, when we are faced with adversities and difficulties, these things can get us down. They can bog us down. We can struggle, especially if these things go on, such as this quarantining idea in our nation. And of course, and then all the fallout that's going to come from this and is coming from this. These things can get us down. So how should we think? Well, I don't expect the lost person to think like Christ does, but I do expect those of us who are believers to tap into the Word of God and the mind of God that we see in Scripture. And in Philippians chapter 2, it says in verse 5, let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. In other words, think like Jesus. (laughs) Be Christ-like in your thoughts. Let this mind be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, because he was, but made himself of no reputation. That's when he came to earth. And he took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men. So he is 100% God, co-equal with the Father and the Spirit, and yet he came into the world and took upon him a body. This is the incarnation of Christ, where God also became man, never ceasing to be God, but Jesus was the perfect God-man. No sin nature, okay? Perfect man, fully God. And he being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Of course, Jesus was the ultimate example of humility and obedience. And we talked about humility and obedience last week. He was the ultimate example of that. No one carried the weight of responsibility more than Jesus did because he carried the weight of our sin. Jesus died for our sin. If this is you and me and my wallet is our sin, we are sinners. And God says we've sinned against him. We've violated his word. That sin has to be taken care of. We've broken his laws. And if we pay the penalty for our sin, which is death, we would have to die not only physically, but spend forever in hell. No amount of good works will take it away. Death is the only payment. The wages of sin is death. But because God loves us so much, hates our sin, but loves us, understands for us to get to heaven, we have to be sinless and we're not. He himself came to our rescue. And that's really what a savior is. This hand representing the Lord Jesus Christ, the sinless son of God, he came into the world. He lived a perfect life. He went to the cross. He took our sin upon himself and he made the complete payment for us and rose from the grave. And he says in the word of God that if we will put our faith, our trust in him, he will give us everlasting life. He humbled himself. Imagine God, the Bible says, for he, God, hath made him Christ to be sin for us who knew no sin, 
that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Jesus Christ was made sin for us. That's the, the ultimate humility, the ultimate humility. He took upon himself the absolute opposite of his perfect, holy character. It's the ultimate act of obedience as well. But he did it because it was the Father's will for him. And all who trust in him, God gives them as a gift to everlasting life. We'll say more about that at the end of the message here. But look what it says in verse 9. Wherefore God also has highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow of things in heaven and things in earth and things under the earth. That covers everything, by the way. And that every tongue, every tongue, every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father, okay? So tonight, let's look more into the mindset that cannot fail. And I have two major points that I want to pass along with you as we expand on this mindset that God wants us to have. The first one is this. And you may wonder at first, how does this fit in? But if you look at the context, it becomes clear. It is this. Jesus Christ will rule and reign one day over the entire world. Now you might say, well, how is that the mindset? That just seems like a prophetic truth. Think about it. Jesus Christ will rule and reign one day over the entire world. Here's the point. Christian, take heart. We are on the winning side. The temporary things we go through, the frustrations, the dealing with the world system, the evil people in the world, and all these people, the people who are pro-abortion, they call it pro-choice, and they're, they're pro-abortion. You know, it's amazing. They, they'll talk about how concerned they are about people dying from COVID-19, and yet babies are being slaughtered every day all over the planet, and no one thinks twice about that. Friends, this is wicked, this is evil, and those people will be defeated one day. That mindset will be defeated that day. This savior that we have taken, that we love and we wanna walk with, okay? He is the victor. He guaranteed it at the cross. He paid for sin, but then he rose from the grave, okay? And the empty tomb, is the written guarantee that Jesus wins and that Christianity will stand and the world will be one day, okay? Well, let me put it this way. Eternity one day will be completely, purely godly according to the God of the Bible. He is the only God it will be according to. And this is what's gonna take place. So if you've put your faith in Christ, you're on the winning side. And you ought to rejoice in that, and that ought to encourage you, okay? This is something we need to remember on a regular basis. Yeah, there are the battles, okay? And and some are bigger than other battles, and I I get that. But we are on the winning side. We've won the major battle. The, The war, let me put it that way, the war has been won. It's just a matter of time before we realize it. I want you to hold your place here and look with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 15. The wickedness that is in the world. You know, the world system, who runs it? Satan runs it. Satan runs the world system. You might say, well, I thought God is is reigning. 
Well, overall he reigns, but he is not reigning like in the kingdom age, which is yet future. That's the thousand year reign of Jesus Christ on this planet when he will be back in person ruling and reigning. And anybody who, who does evil or wickedness Swift judgment for those people, okay? This stuff is not going to go on. Now, I don't know if there's going to be lawyers in the kingdom age or not. I just don't know. But I can tell you this. If there are, they will all be godly ones because no liars and cheats will be allowed during the kingdom age to prosper. 1 Corinthians 15, 57. The resurrection chapter, 1 Corinthians 15, and look what it says in verse 57. But thanks be to God which giveth us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Based on what? A resurrected Savior. He conquered death, and he's the only one who offers life. And therefore, because we've put our faith in him, and he has promised to never leave us nor forsake us, wherever We are, he is there, and we are going to go with him. Friend, once you get raptured, you will be forever with the Lord. And wherever he is, that is where you will be. So this is exciting. And I'll tell you what, that is something we need to be reminded of on a regular basis. We may be in a war, but the war has ultimately been won. We may go through battles, but those battles are temporary. The war has been won because Jesus Christ is the victor. Now let's go back uh, for just a moment to Philippians chapter 2 again. And let me emphasize two of the things that it says about uh, when Jesus comes. Verse 10, that at the name of Jesus, at the name of Jesus. Now that's, you know, I never thought about it until just now. I wonder what that's going to be like. How literal is this? Is this a one-time event? Or is this going to be at a judgment? Or is this going to be when Jesus comes back at the end of the tribulation and sets up his kingdom, is this going to be a, a constant way of life that literally, when the name of Jesus is said, everybody will just fall down. Every knee will bow. Every knee will bow. That's amazing. Let me show you another passage here. Go with me to Psalm 2. Remarkable portion of scripture. And we... <laughs> It sounds like the world in which we live. But what it does is it shows us man in rebellion and then it shows us what happens and the way it will be when Jesus comes back. It shows us man's rebellion and it even shows us, it gives us hints about the tribulation period which will take place after the rapture. And it says in in, uh, Psalm 2, remember now, every knee will bow. It says, why do the heathen rage and the people imagine a vain thing? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed saying, let us break their bands asunder and cast away their cords from us. This is the world in which we live. They're in rebellion and they think they can get away with it. They think they can reject Christ and and mock Jesus Christ and mock Christianity. And you know what? No one's going to put controls on us. We're just going to do, we are powerful. We will run the world. We're going to do things the way we want. Friend, uh uh-uh, it's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. Oh, you may think you're, you're getting ahead. It's sort of like the dog, the dog who's on a, uh, a pole in the yard and he's on a leash, you know, you ever seen one of those? And he's in the yard and you go walking by and 
And uh, maybe he'll take out after you, barking, 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 and then all of a sudden he comes at the end of his leash and it's like, whoa, kind of chokes him. You know what? That's going to happen to the people of the world, so to speak. They're going to think they're in control and that they're not accountable to anybody, but one day their knee will bow to Jesus Christ. They will bow. Verse four, he that sitteth in the heavens shall laugh. So here's little puny man, little puny man. Go ahead, I dare you. I don't believe in God. I dare you, I dare you. And all that, one day God's just going to say, oh yeah? And he'll step in and he's going to deal with them. He that sitteth in the heaven shall laugh, the Lord shall have them in derision. Then shall he speak unto them in his wrath and vex them in his sore displeasure. That's the tribulation period which is coming, friend. And he is going to deal and he's going to be pouring out plagues and judgments on the earth that are going to make COVID-19 seem like a, like a little cold or something. Verse 6 Yet have I set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. That's when Jesus comes back and sets up his kingdom. I will declare the decree. The Lord had said unto me, thou art my son. This day have I begotten thee. Now, wait a minute. Wait a minute. Did you just read that with me? This is a thousand years before Jesus ever came. This was written. This is an amazing portion of scripture prophetically. Ask of me and I will give thee the heathen for thine inheritance. Son, ask of me. This is the father speaking. I'll give you the heathen for your inheritance and the uttermost parts of the earth for thy possession. Jesus is going to rule and reign. Verse nine, thou shalt break them with a rod of iron. Thou shalt dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. The opposition to Jesus Christ, when he comes back at the end of the tribulation, he is going to crush those who oppose him. Be wise now, therefore, O ye kings. Be instructed, ye judges of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the son. The idea is to embrace him, to fasten yourself to him. Kiss the son, lest he be angry and you perish from the way when his wrath is kindled but a little. Blessed are all they that put their trust in him. God's terms have always been the same, right? Faith in Jesus Christ. Faith in Jesus Christ. So, Every knee will bow, every knee. Secondly, we saw in Philippians, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. Listen, there are no atheists in hell, none. You can mock, you can make fun of Christianity, you can say all you want about it, friend, but friend, when you die, the reality of it will be your eternal existence at that point. I urge you to put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior, if you haven't done that. Let's look at another scripture, Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 9, 700 years before Jesus came. Here's Isaiah writing, talking about when Jesus would come. You know, the cults, they don't want to believe Jesus is God himself. Every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. It's going to happen. Now, if you are a believer, you've put your faith in Christ, you're on the winning side. You've already believed these things. Isaiah 9, 6, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulders. Boy, I'm glad of that, aren't you? I'm glad he's not going to say, you know what, and we'll get some more elected officials here. We'll get some more liberal Congress people. Boy, that wouldn't be heaven. That would be something else, wouldn't it? 
The government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father. Look at the next phrase. The Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. It's eternal. Once he comes upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it and to establish it with judgment, with justice from henceforth even forever. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will perform this, okay? It's not a matter of if. It is simply a matter of when, a matter of when. And so Christian, listen, what do we need to do? We need to take heart because... Jesus Christ will rule and reign one day over the entire world. Friend, if you don't like the idea of a Christian world, you need to come to grips with this and you need to trust in Christ as your savior and you need to see him as who he is because one day you will have to admit it. But if you die without having trusted Christ, you'll understand it right then but you won't be able to do anything about it. If you die in your sin, you're lost forever. The second thing I wanted to mention is this, another part of the mindset that cannot fail. Because we have the victory in Christ, we should serve Christ with all of our hearts. That's a logical response to this. Go back to Philippians chapter two. You see, it tells us in Philippians 2, the greatness of our Savior, it tells us what he accomplished in chapter 2. And we see everything that we have in Christ and we have the victory and we have all the wonderful things in Christ that there are. Well, all of that being true and that we are on the winning side and he is going to rule and reign forever, forever. You know what we ought to do? We ought to serve Christ with all of our hearts, verses 12 and 13. It says, wherefore, my beloved brethren, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God. That's why the fear and trembling. We're dealing with God, God himself. Yes, we have an intimate relationship. We have a father-child relationship with him. But don't forget, he is still God almighty. And we are accountable to him for how we live. For it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Do all things without murmurings and disputings that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Isn't that the truth? Among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Let's break this down. The first thing, you notice it says, work out your own salvation. To work out your salvation does not mean to work for your salvation, okay? It's like our physical bodies. We say, well, I need need some exercise. I need to do a workout or I need to have a workout. You're not saying if you work out, you'll get a body. No, what you're saying is I have a body. I need to work it out. It's the same with this. It doesn't say work for your salvation with fear and trembling. It says work out your own salvation. See, because we're all personally accountable. Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Give your salvation a workout. In other words, serve Christ with all you have. It only makes sense. Fear and trembling. What is that about? I think that's talking about understanding that one day we will stand at the judgment seat of Christ. 
Now, I don't think he pours out punishment on his children, but I do think it's going to be a very sobering experience to stand before the Lord and to give an account, the Bible says. We are going to give an account, verbal response. That's what the word account means, a verbal answer to the Lord for what we've done with our lives once we got saved. Oh, hell's not the issue. Punishment's not the issue. But accountability is the issue. And it is a very serious thing. Paul said in 2 Corinthians 5.10, for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ, talking to Christians, that everyone may receive the things done in his body according to that which he hath done, whether it be good or bad. Verse 11, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord. We persuade men, but we are made manifest unto God, and I trust also are made manifest in your consciences. Again, it's not talking about saved people being able to go to hell. No, once you're going to heaven, you're going to heaven. Nothing can change that. You're eternally secure. You're a child of God. But God wants us to respond to this free gift of salvation by grace and now serve him with all that we have. And why wouldn't we, seeing we're on the winning side? This is... Paul's life. This is the way Paul lived his life. Now, you notice in Philippians 2, it says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. God is working in us to produce not only good works or works that glorify God, but he's also working in us even to give us the desire to produce those works. I heard one man talking about dedication once. He was talking to young people, and it was a message on dedicating your life to the Lord. And he was asking a question, well, are you, are you willing to serve the Lord? Well, I don't know. I'm, I don't know that I'm willing to serve the Lord. And he said this, it's profound. And it really goes right along with what we see here in verse 13. He said, let me ask you this. Are you willing to be made willing? Are you willing to be made willing? God is working in the life of his children. Not only, he not only wants them to be willing to serve him, he's working in us to get us to be willing to serve him. Now, how does he do that? Well, he does it many ways. One, obviously, the grace of God in our lives, the love of God in our lives. There's many motivations in the Christian life. Reaping and sowing, um, rewards, chastening. There's all kinds of uh, motivators that God uses in our lives to get get us to serve him. But are we willing even to be made willing? Well, God's working in every believer to get us to be willing to serve him. Now, can we resist? We can. Why we would? It doesn't make any sense, does it? So God is working in us to produce even the desire for us to serve him. Moving on in our passage here, you notice we are to live our lives without murmuring and disputing. Murmuring is complaining, complaining. Disputing is arguing. We see that in verse verse 14. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. This will result, by the way, in Christ-like character if we are living the way we should. Now, uh, let me say this. Everybody sometimes complains and everybody argues with others. It is human nature, but that's the problem. 
God wants us to be in harmony. And when we're tuned to Jesus Christ and walking in fellowship with him, then we will get along with one another. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. And when we do, this will result in Christ-like character. You notice in verse 15, it says that you may be, do all things without murmurings and disputings, that you may be. So they're linked. That you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. When we keep our attitude in check, when we're not complaining, when we're not arguing with others, we're seeking to walk with Christ, we're desiring to be like him. This is going to change our character into a godly character. And what is the result of that? Verse 15, we'll be blameless and we'll be harmless. It will not only reflect, but also we will continue to produce that kind of character. See, friend, here's the truth of it. We all complain, but here's the truth of it. Nobody wants to hear it. Do you like listening to people who are complaining all the time, who are whining all the time? Nobody does, but yet we'll end up doing it at times. We catch ourselves doing it. Here's the truth of it. If you're saved, let me ask you a question. Honestly, what do you have to complain about? What do you have to complain about? What do I have to complain about? Nothing, really. If you see it in, from God's perspective, in God's economy, with God's value system, we have nothing to complain about, and yet we do it. We do it. There's an article written by one retired pastor, and it's called Complainers Live Longer. It's what it's called. He says, a recent medical survey states that chronic complainers live longer than people who are always sweet and serene. It claims that their cantankerous spirit gives them a purpose for living. Have you met one, by the way? Each morning, they get up with a fresh challenge to see how many things they can find to grumble about, and they derive great satisfaction from making others miserable. I question whether those who complain actually do outlive those who don't. Maybe it just seems that way to everyone around them. <laughs> that's, that's the truth. Gets old, doesn't it? Listening to complainers, it gets old. You notice it says in verse 15 that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation. Okay? The word crooked here, it's the Greek word scolios. Okay? And we talk about somebody with a condition called scoliosis, which is a curvature of the spine. This is where this is taken from. It means warped or twisted. This is where we get that idea. Okay? The word perverse means perverted. Now, let me ask you something. What do you, how do you consider it? How would you describe it if our nation was in a, a state of alarm like it has been? And whether, whether I agree with it or you agree with it or not, I, you know, investing all or giving all this money, or should I say printing all this money to give away to people. And then you've got people in the United States Congress who are trying to bring things in behind the back into those bills to where they can pass it and get their way on other stuff. You know what I call that? I call it crooked and perverse. Crooked and perverse. And here's the truth of it. Every single one of those left-leaning politicians need to be voted out of office. Okay? 
Now, if I had my way, charges would be put against them in many cases having to do with treason and so forth for our nation because they're traitors to the principles of what we stand for. I know that's strong language, but friend, their philosophy is anti-America. We are living in a crooked and perverse nation. Not everybody, but there's plenty who are. And there are people who are so crooked and perverse, they don't even know how crooked and perverse they are. Evil has become right to them. And right has become evil. By the way, Isaiah talked about a day when that would come. We are living in a day like that. But here's the truth of it. For those of us who are saved, we're on the winning side. And it's just a matter of time before Jesus Christ is going to rule and reign. See, the only hope for the world is the truth of the word of God. And that takes us to verse 16. It says, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Now look at that. Verse 14, do all things without murmuring and disputing that you may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. When we are right with God and when we are serving the Lord the way we should, when we are living for him, we are going to shine as lights in the world. Is everybody going to embrace Christianity? Not necessarily. Matter of fact, the Bible's very clear. It'll only be a minority of people who will trust in Jesus Christ alone as Savior. But we need, as believers, we need to be careful not to turn them off. I had uh, somebody write me this week, written before, and uh, they live, again, they live in another state. They support our ministry, our online ministry, and we're very grateful. Well, they gave, they gave a generous gift this week, and uh, I e- emailed them back and thanked them, and we got going back and forth. And he says, I, I want to I ask you about something. Now, he has a friend, and he has gotten this friend to listen to me and some of the other sound pastors on, on the Internet, some of the Bible teachers. He says, but this person, they are living this man is living with a woman who is not only his, not his wife, but not even saved. And he's talked, this man who gave to our church, he's talked to his friend about this. The man is a believer, okay? This person living with this woman is a believer. And he's talked to this person, but they say, well, I just consider us married. Friend, that doesn't make you married. And so he's asking me, how should I respond to him? You know, I don't want to be a Pharisee and this and that. So went back and forth a little bit on that and I gave him some counsel. But here's the point. We as Christians need to be living blameless lives, not lives where the world looks at us and says, see, you guys speak one thing, but you do another. You're living a hypocritical life. Friends, when we live a hypocritical life, we are not shining as lights in the world. We are rather, we're exhibiting the darkness of the world around us. See, light will attract. It will attract. God God tells us we're children of light. As a matter of fact, when Jesus, before he left, he said, we were then the light of the world because he was leaving. So we want to see that. And what is the answer? Verse 16, holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. And of course, if we hold forth the word of life, we will be, be able to rejoice at the judgment seat of Christ. That's what the day of Christ is. 
that we have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Why? Because we've invested our lives as believers in that which matters most. But notice the solution. It's the word of life. The word of life. What is that? It's this book. Friend, love it, cherish it, read it, be in it, read it many times a day. Memorize scripture. Think biblically, okay? This will profoundly change your life. Now, let me give you a couple last verses. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians 15. We were already there, and we looked at one verse, but I want you to look at the one right after it. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and it says, now remember, here's that same theme again. Jesus Christ died. Jesus Christ came back from the dead. He is victorious. One day every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. We are on the winning side. And so therefore, what should we do? We ought to be working, giving our salvation a workout and serving the Lord. 1 Corinthians 15, 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. What does that follow? But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, for as much as you know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. Can I say this tonight if you happen to be watching and maybe our streaming is new to you, maybe this is the first time you've tuned in. Friend, God wants you to know for sure you're going to heaven when you die. Did you know that? He wants you to know for sure. Not hope, guess, think, feel. It's not a matter of feeling. It's a matter of fact. God deals in black and white right here, the word of God. I want you to see a passage with me over in 1 John chapter 5. That's towards the end of the New Testament. 1 John chapter 5. Did you know that the Bible says you can know that you have eternal life? You can know you're going to heaven when you die? You can know that. I remember the first time I saw that. I thought, I can't believe this is in the Bible. I was raised in a religion, okay? I talked to the religious leader when I was nine years old, and I said, how can I know I'm going to heaven? He says, do your best. I was nine. Do your best, he said. And I said, well, how will I know when I've done my best? He says, you'll know. Boy, that's kind of circular, isn't it? Well, that set me out on a journey, not every moment of every day, but that question, it was kind of like if you were to draw me as a cartoon figure, a question mark was over my head. All those years wondering, how can I know? Can you really know? Can you really know? It wasn't until I was 19 years old that I saw this verse and I thought, there it is. I wasn't even looking for it. I didn't think I was looking for it, but there it was. Look at it with me. First John five thirteen. these things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God. Jesus, his name means God who will save us. When you believe on his name, you are believing or trusting in him that he is God who will save you. You're trusting in him as your savior. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. Look at that. You can know that you have eternal life. How? If you believe. Well, how do I know? How will I know? Because God can't lie. The Bible is God's book, and God can't lie. And he's given you a written guarantee that if you put your faith in Christ, you can know you're going to heaven. 
actually right now, but certainly you'll know that you're going when you die, but you can know that, have that assurance right now. We sang tonight, blessed assurance, Jesus is mine. Trust in Christ, would you do that? And if you're already a believer, friend, the mindset that cannot fail, what have we learned tonight? We've learned the fact that we're on the winning side, okay, and that we ought to serve the Lord. Because of that, we ought to serve the Lord with everything we've got. Be committed to being a true disciple of Jesus Christ. Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.